The first reading is John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. I want to tell you another story, um, and this is from Acts 11. Now, the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when, people came, and when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it, Intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has entered at any time into my mouth. A voice answered me again from heaven. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And at that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at that beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord and how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you should be baptized by the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they became silent And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. That story, when Peter first preaches the good news to a bunch of non-Jews, that was a game-changer for the early church. You can see by the reaction it caused, the depth of the assumption that there was, that the good news of Jesus was really just for Jews only. People in the church thinking, as people in the church have always been prone to do, that we want a church that's just full of people like us. 
Whereas God's vision of the church is, of a global church full of people of every age, every ethnicity, every social background. But for that to happen, we need to be outward looking rather than a holy huddle. It means that mission, outreach, witness, evangelism, call it what you will, this is what God calls us to do. And so it's today we come to look at the third part of what is unhelpfully called the Baptist Declaration of Principle, which just spells out really what it means to be a Christian in a Baptist church like this one. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the importance of Scripture revealing Jesus. Last week, we looked at trust expressed in baptism. Today, we consider the claim that it is the duty of every disciple to bear personal witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to take part in the evangelization of the world. Wow. Did you know that was a fundamental part of being a Christian in a Baptist church? It's the duty of every disciple to bear personal witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to take part in the evangelization of the world. It means our faith can't be a private thing that we just keep to ourselves. We have a duty, we have a responsibility, we have a calling to be open and upfront about what we believe and the difference it makes to how we live. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. Jesus died and rose again as Lord of all. That means everyone we meet, that person is someone for whom Jesus died. Everyone we meet one day, they will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You're doing them a favour by introducing him to them now. But sharing your faith, talking about Jesus, that can be a risky and costly thing to do. We live in a culture in this country that's quite hostile towards that at the moment. You read in the papers reports of government lawyers saying things like, Christians should leave their religious beliefs at home or accept that a personal expression of faith at work, such as wearing a cross, means they might have to resign and get another job. That's the kind of culture that we're living in. A recent high-profile case concerned Victoria Wastney, who was suspended from work because she was found guilty on three counts of bullying and harassing a Muslim colleague at work. What did she do? Firstly, When a colleague came into the office upset because of health issues and problems at home, Miss Wastney offered to pray for her, and when permission was granted, she did so. Simply praying for peace and healing, briefly placing her hand on a colleague's knee in what was intended to be a heartfelt gesture of comfort and support. Secondly, she gave her a book that told the story of a Muslim woman's encounter with Jesus. Thirdly, She sent her several texts inviting her to events at her church, not all of which were evangelistic, some of which were about an issue of human trafficking, a concern which both of these women shared. Victoria Wastey was disciplined for acts that she felt had taken place in the context of what appeared to be friendly and open sharing about the common ground and differences between people who worshipped Jesus um, and Islam and Christianity. After she was suspended, she was only allowed to return to work on condition that she did not discuss her faith or her beliefs with her colleagues. And she had to agree to that. There was talk of her being able to launch an appeal on the basis of her freedom to practice and express her religious beliefs, but leave to make that appeal was dismissed a couple of weeks ago. 
Miss Wastey observed, and I agree with her, what the court clearly failed to do was to say how in today's politically correct world any Christian can even enter into a conversation with a fellow employee on the subject of religion and not potentially later end up in an employment tribunal. Difficult situations that we live in. So if I'm preaching a sermon on how each of us has a responsibility to bear personal witness to our faith and take part in the evangelization of the world, I need to let you know that it's not a risk-free thing to do. It can be dangerous, it can be costly. But then it's always been like that. Earlier in Acts, you can read how the first followers of Jesus were put in prison and beaten up for telling other people about their faith. We prayed for Nepal earlier. There's a real concern that the new constitution can be interpreted in such a way to make it punishable by law if it is perceived that you're trying to convert someone from one religion to another or to undermine or jeopardise someone else's religion. It's not good. People need to be free to practice their religion. Yes. For us, we want to say part of practicing our religion is telling other people about Jesus. And people also need to have the freedom to change their religion as well. And lots of people do. There's traffic between the different religions in all sorts of ways in this country. According to The Economist, every year in the UK, over 5,000 people convert to Islam. And they do that not because Muslims are actively engaged in seeking converts, nor is it necessarily the result of radicalisation. But people tend to make the switch having spent a long time in the company of Muslims and seeing how they live and what they stand for. Some convert because they want to get married. Others because they're sick and tired of the low moral standards they see expressed in British society. And confusingly think that is an expression of Christianity in some way, shape or form. Others value the sense of community or spirituality or warmth of relationship they encounter with Muslims. Lots of men in prison convert because they find the support that they get from others, as well as the discipline and structure of religion, help them cope with prison life. There are also fringe benefits, like getting better food at Ramadan. But people make the jump because of what they see in terms of how people behave and how they live. And there are lessons for us in that respect as we want to witness to our faith because whatever we say is not going to carry any weight unless people see something about who we are and how we live. And lots and lots of Muslims are becoming Christians, many of them, interestingly, apparently doing so after having had dreams or visions about Jesus, very much in line with what Cornelius' experience was. He had an angel telling him what to do. Lots of people have visions of Jesus or dreams or something that prompts them to explore the Christian faith. One representative story is that of Timo from Turkey, whose story is told in the Catholic Herald. He says, After my encounter with some Christians, I began to read the Bible, in particular the New Testament, and I was immediately fascinated by the person of Jesus. This fascination, which still overwhelms me, and the surprise because of the wonder that Jesus loves me so much as to go up to the cross and give his life for me, are reasons why I became a Christian. I converted to Christianity because of Christ. As I've already said, what still fascinates me is the love of Jesus for men. He loved us to the point of giving himself for us on the cross. If Jesus gives his life for me, how can I respond? For me, this represents the fundamental question, and it seems logical to me to repay this love by following Christ and receiving his baptism. 
Notice how his story starts with an encounter with some Christians. Clearly something about them attracted him to Jesus. He saw in them a peace, a love, a forgiveness, demonstrated that he wasn't finding elsewhere. Raises a question about how our life and witness commends Jesus to other people. Because before we say a word about people about the good news, it's going to come about because people have seen us and spent time with us and see something about who we are and how we live. There's an excellent article in the most recent edition of Baptist Together that, that I get and Andy Leach gets, and if you want a copy, I can give it to you. Glenn Marshall acknowledges that evangelism can so easily become intrusive, arrogant, pushy, manipulative, forced, artificial, dishonest, anything but good news. So he says, if you're going to play your part in bearing personal witness to the good news, the good news is that this need not involve preaching on street corners, pretending to make friends with people so that you can witness to them, devising cunning strategies to get them to church even though you know they don't want to go, nor do you have to invite them to come and listen to some minor celebrity preaching the gospel. He says we share the good news by who we are, by what we do, and by what we say. Those three things go together. When we are the kind of church that is welcoming, friendly, outward-looking, generous and forgiving, we embody We communicate the good news by embodying it. When we work to shelter the homeless, feed the hungry, campaign for the oppressed, we communicate the good news by enacting it. When we explain to our friends why we pray, how we come to follow Jesus, or what God means to us, we communicate the good news by articulating it. Those three things go together who we are here in church, what we do, what we say. Jesus said, didn't he, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you love each other. And when that love is expressed and shared among us here as a community of God's people, when we're a group of people characterised by grace and forgiveness, then we become good news. When people come alongside us, they see there's something about those people that communicates a love and a peace and a grace and acceptance that I need, that I want. When Jesus sent his disciples out to preach the good news, they proclaimed the kingdom, they drove out demons, they healed the sick and cured diseases. When we work to bring peace, healing, wholeness and freedom into people's lives and relationships, then we express the good news. That's why organisations like Horsham Matters, Debt Advice Centre, Streetlight, Oasis, they are all vital expressions of the gospel because they communicate the good news by enacting it. So if you're here in a church like this one and you support the work of organisations like Horsham Matters or the others, you are playing your part in the evangelisation of the world. But also, the declaration says we need to bear personal witness to our faith in Jesus Christ. The matter of articulating the good news, talking about what we believe. And that's really important as well. We do our bit by being involved here in church. We do our bit by supporting the work that the churches in Horsham do. We also do our bit by bearing personal witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ.
Why are you here in church? Why are you listening to this message? Why are you a Christian? What do you believe about God and about Jesus? And what difference does what you believe make in your life? If people spend time with you and see how you live, sooner or later they're going to realise that you're a Christian, not least because you come to church here on a Sunday. And at some point, someone might ask you a question like, why do you go? Why do you believe that stuff? What do you think about this? And when questions like that come, what do you say? Peter ended up preaching the good news to Cornelius, not because he was engaged in door-to-door evangelism in Caesarea, but because Cornelius was looking for someone to tell him about God. Cornelius was the inquirer. He wanted to know how he could be saved. And Peter responded when he was invited into Cornelius' home by sharing what he knew about Jesus. How he'd seen Jesus going around and doing good. Healing everyone oppressed of the devil. How he'd been crucified. But God had raised him from the dead on the third day and made him Lord of all. And how Peter believed that he was appointed to be judge of the living and the dead. And the whole of the Old Testament finds its summation in the promise that anyone who trusts in him finds forgiveness in his name. And as Peter talked about all that kind of stuff in someone's home, just sharing his faith and what he knew about Jesus, Cornelius opened his heart to Christ and the Holy Spirit came and the whole orientation of his life was changed towards God and towards God's gift of life. You know, you read the story of Cornelius and he was as close to being a Christian as it was possible to be for someone who'd never really grasped the story of Jesus or put their faith in Christ. When he invited Peter to his house, Peter knew the story he needed to tell. He could talk about his experience of Jesus and share that, and it was that that did the business. He didn't say, come with me to church this Sunday. He said, this is what I believe. This is what I found. This is what I've experienced of Jesus. And there in that man's home, Cornelius came to faith. When it comes to bearing personal witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm not asking you to memorise some kind of formula that you can trot out as and when the occasion might require it. God asks us simply to know and understand what we believe, why we believe it, and to be ready to share it when the time comes. It's not a formula that we trot out. It's words that come from our experience of Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for us. That's what people need to hear. And that's what changes people's lives. So I'm going to ask we spend just a, a, a moment or two in quiet now. I'm going to ask you two questions. First one, why and how has Jesus been good news for me? And the second one, What's a good way of putting that into words? So just a moment of quiet. Why and how is Jesus good news for me?
And how can I express that sense of who Jesus is effectively and simply in a few words? Lord Jesus, thank you for the difference that knowing you has made to our lives. Someone crosses our path this week who's looking for you and the opportunity comes for us to say something about you or about our faith in you. May we be ready to do that. Bring to mind the words that have come to us, our minds this morning. Lord, give us such a fullness of your spirit, such a sense of your goodness, that talking about you isn't something artificial or we have to force ourselves to do it. We just express, in expressing who we are, we express who you are, because you mean that much to us. In Jesus' name. Amen.